From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 434. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and Fitbod. I'm one of your three co-hosts, Federico Viticci, and it's my pleasure to introduce just one of the other two co-hosts, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Federico. How are you? I am doing fantastic, but it's just uh, it's the, the two of us today. It is. Yeah, mic's off. Uh, this is the birthday week here at Connected. So mine is Saturday. His is Tuesday. I think he's doing like some pre-birthday stuff tonight. So just us. Uh, nice. Very nice. Very just nice. Us. Well, yeah, just us. We got, of course, kind of weird on the pre-show uh, because, I mean, we talked about like home renovation, like type, you know, manual real, you know, uh, you know, manual stuff mm-hmm. for doing things around the house, obviously, which is new to me. It's a whole new thing to me, but it was, uh, it was good. So listen to the, to the pre-show for that if you're a Connected Pro member. Otherwise, we can just uh, jump straight into follow-up, and I see that we have some poems from people. We do. I made a comment on a previous show. Of, okay, you could. Yes, you did. This poem. So I've got a couple to read here. Uh, the first two are from Darren. Darren has been leaving us one every day, which is awesome, but I'm not reading off five of them. I'm just going to do okay. the first two. So this is Darren. Haiku feedback form. New way to contact the boys. How can I refuse? Nice. Here's the second one from Darren. Haiku feedback time. How long till they regret asking us for this? Oh, I like this one better. <laughs> this is the this is that time <laughs> right here. Michael writes, love the new feedback. I was never on Twitter. This seems much better. Oh, it's even got the rhyme in there. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. And then Mark said they're more of a limerick guy than a haiku person. So Mark uh, wrote this. Mike, Federico, and Steven decided to keep coin flips even. Dice by Peacock worked well, much better than Snell, so that rule change they opted to leave in. Oh, okay. That's good. This is very good. This is very good. Uh, so thank you, everyone. If you uh, do have feedback or follow up for the show, uh, there is a link in the show notes, and it's also on the website, relay.fm slash connected slash feedback. Mm-hmm. And uh, we continue to improve that form, so we've got some, some new stuff coming to that here pretty soon. This feedback is for Mike, who is not here, but he mentioned on a previous episode about uh, the, you know, the complications of like changing Apple ID addresses. And I think Mm. uh, even our friend one, two, John said that he had something shipped to his old house. Like it seems like Apple keeps this in a different places, but uh, this is from Nick. Nick says that if you go to Apple ID.apple.com, that's sort of the one true source of information about your Apple ID. So if you log in there, and it's one of Apple's web pages that you can use like Face ID or Touch ID to log into if you're using Safari, which is pretty cool. That is like the hub for your Apple ID. So you can change your address. Uh, I had to update my payment information actually just yesterday. And this was in the show notes already. It's like, oh, I know where to go. Uh, And you can also do things like see what devices are signed into your account and uh, get app-specific passwords. You know, some apps need those for iCloud, like uh, Fantastic Out needs it. And it's all there. Um, if you haven't looked at your Apple ID page, there's a link in the show notes. I would say go check it out because it is really a, uh, a very useful tool to see to see what's going on uh, with your Apple ID. All right. Well, the one true, one true Apple ID. That's right. That's right. What's next? Well, we have reviews of the new Macs that uh, launched, are launching. Are, are they available for pickup yet in Apple stores? They are. They are. Uh, so we have the new M2 Mac Mini and uh, M2 Pro and M2 Max MacBook Pros. We have reviews from those. And th- th- I think the general consensus is that the MacBook Pros are speed bumps, unsurprisingly so, and the the new the, the Mac Mini with the M2 Pro uh, is a pretty big deal, and it's a pretty lovely machine, you know, especially with the price cut, uh, much better performance than before, um, in a in a tiny compact machine that sort of rivals, uh, for some use cases, uh, even the Mac Studio, I think, depending on your configuration. Yeah. Uh, 
And uh, we're going to have links in the show notes to some of the reviews. Obviously, Jason Snell at Six Colors did two, uh, both for the MacBook Pro and the M2 Mac Mini. Yeah, Dan Morin did the Mac Mini one. and uh, Dan did the Mac they're Mini They're both one. great. I, I kind of feel bad for the Mac Mini. Like, it's kind of overshadowed a little bit by the notebooks. But mm. the Mac Mini update's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I really think so. Like, if I... I don't know. I keep thinking about it. Just like it's a really lovely machine, and I kind of want to have it, but I also know that I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but if I were to buy a new one now, that's like I would get it immediately. But I have an M1 Mac Mini, and it's fine for what I need to do. Yeah. What yeah. I want to talk about is a couple of things. The first one is like this sort of new quote-unquote controversy that is happening with the with the MacBook Pro, with the base model MacBook Pro, and the speed of the SSD. So we're going to link to a, an article on 9to5Mac about how the 512 gigabit MacBook Pro with the M2 Pro has, uh, similarly to what happened with the M2 MacBook Air, as a performance drop uh, compared to the... Uh, M1 Pro MacBook Pro, so the previous generation model, when it comes to uh, read and write speeds for the SSD, which, if my understanding of this is correct, is due to the fact that the new uh, chip design is using a single uh, NAND chip instead of multiple ones, and that uh, while it has... um, you know, resulted into higher capacities chips, uh, you know, making, you know, using fewer of them, and please correct me if I'm getting this wrong, using fewer of them has resulted in slower speeds. Uh, there's a, you know, I've seen some articles, you know, talk about this, like, oh, the new MacBook Pro is slower than before. Uh, but the thing that really, uh, pushed me into including this in the show notes this morning was I woke up to a WhatsApp message from a a friend who's, you know, um, kind of into technology, but he's not the kind of person with a Mastodon account. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's a video editor as a Windows PC, but he's, you know, keeping an eye on what Apple is doing with Apple Silicon. Uh, Not the kind of person who uses, again, Twitter, Mastodon or RSS. Uh, and he sends me a TikTok video of an Italian, I guess, influencer. Uh, and the title of the video, and I'm translating, the title of the video was You Will Not Believe This New Scam from Apple. Oh, boy. And the video was about like how, yeah, it was that sort of like, oh, you will not believe what Apple is doing now. They have a new scam, like that sort of, you know, uh, sort of clickbaity style. And I watched the video, and the video was about this. Like, it was about the write and read speeds of the SSD. But to to make it, like, and that TikTok video, like, already, like, th- multiple thousands of views, to reach my friend and for my friend to send me this video, be like, hey, is this true? And, uh, you know, try and make this into a new Apple gate or whatever. I wanted to know, what do you think about this, Stephen? I mean, on the technical side, it is a bummer that yes. these SSD speeds are slower. That was my reply. Like, on the technical side, yes, it's it's a bummer. Yeah. Is it something that is a showstopper to buy one of these machines? I don't think so. I mean, the performance is still good. It's just not as good as the, the bigger ones. I wish Apple had done something differently because it's about, like you said, it's the number of NAND chips and the way, you know, using larger capacity but fewer fewer individual parts and i wish apple was either much more clear about the differences here or they would just do it differently where they wouldn't run into this problem is it a scam no is it you know the the new gate around this uh these devices no i don't think so if you're looking to buy one of these machines and disk performance is really important to you yeah you should know about it and it could maybe bump you up a tier if that's like in your hierarchy of what you're buying a computer for, if it's a big deal, most people, uh, I really don't, uh, I really don't think it is. Uh, it's a bummer, but it's not a showstopper. That's kind of where I come down. You also published an article about these new chips uh, from these computers on five twelve. The title of the story is "It Was Always Going to Be This Way." And you referred to this um, article on Macworld, I believe, by uh, David Price? Yeah. So they wrote a column on Macworld about, like, basically the gist of the story is uh, 
Apple Silicon is now boring because we're not seeing these huge performance jumps uh, that they promised, you know, with the first generation chip anymore. And the Mac Pro is still not here. And the fact that it's still not here somehow won't be a good deal for people when it eventually comes. And uh, you you really went for it, uh, <laughs> my friend here, quoting like every single paragraph of this story and uh, bringing some really fascinating counter arguments. I saved some highlights okay. um, that I want to mention. Uh, you said, I agree that, that Apple comparing the new M2 Mac Mini to the old Intel is playing to the strengths of the transition. But most people aren't going to be upgrading from an M1 Mac Mini to an M2 model. Hey, that's me. So I'm willing to forgive it. So this one refers to the fact that Apple is comparing the M2. Uh, instead of comparing that chip to the M1, they're using some Intel Core i7 from a couple of years ago. Um, and you know, a bunch of people, I, I follow some uh, some gaming websites, um, a bunch of people uh, were making fun of Apple for doing this, like, hey, Apple is comparing the M2 to an old i7 from like two years ago or something. Uh, but in the context of the transition, as you mentioned, like, it's it's not going to be an, it's like, it doesn't affect people who bought an M1 Mac Mini, likely because they're not upgrading to an M2 anyway. Yeah, yeah. My, my biggest piece uh, with this article, and, and the reason I sort of deconstructed it was we, we talked about it on the show even like this is how transitions work you get a really mm -hmm. really big jump the first time you do it i have a screenshot in the article from apple's old like why are we switching to intel page and it's like oh this computer is four to five times faster than the previous one right the second and third you know intel iMacs, the second and third macbook pros ever were not four times faster than the previous ones it, it is always this way because you get that big jump because that's the reason you made the transition in the first place <laughs> right and and i think apple at this point in the game i think it's totally fair to compare the m2 to an intel machine because most people are not going to upgrade uh from an m1 now if we're in 2026 and they're comparing the m4 or the m5 yeah. to intel okay i call foul sir right like yeah. then you need to pick something a bit more relevant to people but the truth is right now most macs out there probably are intel machines still and so they need to contextualize these announcements for people who are using an intel mac at their at their desk or in their notebook or whatever so uh so yeah this this macro article gave me an opportunity to talk a lot about what i've been thinking about the transition again a lot of that we've talked about here as a, as a group over the last 18 months or whatever but just because this is a quote spec bump like it doesn't mean these aren't great machines it doesn't mean that if you need a new computer now's a great time to do it like if you're hanging on to an intel macbook pro and you've been budgeting or you're kind of ready to make a purchase now's a great time to do it uh, these machines really look really look impressive at this point in the transition, it was always going to be a spec bump, and that's totally fine. It's a great upgrade. And if you have an M1, you're totally fine. You don't have to worry about this time. What's harder to forgive, and I'm quoting you again, is the obsession over process size that has taken over so much tech reporting. Um, what? So you're referring to the fact that uh, these chips are not built with a 3 nanometer process. Right. Uh, why do you think the tech reporters are obsessing over this? I think, I think partially it's Intel's fault because Intel's been stuck on larger size uh, processes for a while now, and that's kind of been their whole problem. And one reason, like the 2016, 17, 18 MacBook Pros were hot, there's a lot of conjecture that they were designed with a more efficient, cooler running chip in mind, and Intel was unable to deliver it. There's a, lots of asterisks and like hand waving we have to do when we talk about process size. What TSMC calls five nanometer and what Intel may call five nanometer and what someone else may call five nanometer don't necessarily mean the same things. Uh, there, there are different ways of doing this. In a lot of senses, it's more marketing than anything else, you know, in some cases. And I think because Apple's pushed it, you know, over the last couple of years, I think in contrast to Intel, I think if Intel wasn't in trouble with their process nodes, then Apple wouldn't be like talking about, oh, the A17 is on, on this or that. 
three nanometers is going to be great when we get it. I mean, if it continues to follow kind of the plots, you know, laid out uh, previously, it's going to bring hopefully a big bump in efficiency and power while remaining cool and, you know, you stick it in a computer without a fan. But just because the M2 still say, stays on the five nanometer process doesn't mean the M2 is a failure by, by any means. I mean, that was one thing I was a little bit worried about. So I was glad to see in the reviews that, oh, it's they're just like the M1s. You can't get the fan to go unless you really punish it, like in a way that is not typical out in the real world. And so it's not the case that these machines are struggling because, you know, Apple at some point thought this process was going to be smaller and they were unable to do it for whatever reason. Uh, and, and the last kind of factor here is the M1 chips are based on the A series. There's a lot of shared DNA here. The A series chip is, uh, I think they're at four nanometer now. And the M chips are usually a generation behind on the, the core design they use. And so it was going to be really unlikely that the M2 Pro Max, you know, those configs were going to jump process size, that they were going to leapfrog the iPhone and be different than the base M2. As soon as the base M2 was announced at five nanometer, the M2 Pro and Max were always going to be five nanometer. Because the way Apple builds these chips is, uh, they're basically like building blocks, right? If you look at the images Apple has, hmm. okay, here's the M2. Here's the M2 Pro. It's a little bigger. Here's the M2 Max. It's even bigger. And assuming the Ultra is like two Maxes fused together, like the M1 Ultra is. I'm not saying they won't ever change that. But to date, what we know so far about Apple Silicon on the Mac is the generational architecture is the same no matter what level you're at in terms of, you know, number of cores and amount of RAM and that sort of stuff. So I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal at all. And lastly, you said the Mac Pro is going last this time for the same reasons it went last in 2006. What are those reasons? Yeah, because Apple likes to make John Syracuse a sweat. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Same reasons. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a thing on the Mac Pro a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, as long as there's been a Mac Pro, people have been worried about the next one. And like, I just had John Syracuse's picture in my mind. Um, the Mac Pro is last because it uses more of everything and at the same time sells less than anything else. So if you roll back the clock to 2006 and the Intel transition, the Mac Pro used Xeon processors where the other machines were using Core Duo and Core 2 Duo, you know, that sort of different class of chip. But it was very clearly, this is the most Intel stuff we can put into this tower. And in a way, that's even a bigger deal now because Apple's in charge and Apple's driving this technology forward mm. instead of Intel. The pattern so far has been you start with the consumer chip, you know, the M1 or the M2, and then we get Pro Max Ultra down the road. And I don't know what the Mac Pro holds, right? I don't know if it's going to have card slots or RAM expansion or anything. I honestly don't know. But whatever is coming with it, it's going to be a superset of what we've seen elsewhere, or it doesn't have a reason to exist. And Apple starts at the low end and works their way up. They also do that because they sell... I mean, the ratio of MacBook Air sold to Mac Pros has to be a billion to one. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the actual number is, but it's a massive difference. And Apple is, a, at the end of the day, if you're a pro, this, you know, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm a pro too, but it's the reality. Apple builds cons consumer products and the pro versions of those products are a smaller market. And so Apple's got to go where the market is. And then lastly... I'll, the the people who really do need a Mac Pro, who really depend and build their workflows around what those machines can do, those are the very people who are often last to make a transition. And so in the PowerPC to Intel days, and I was around for that, I remember it really clearly, mm. a lot of professionals held on to G4s and G5s because uh, software they used or, you know, drivers they needed to interact with some other, you know, outboard hardware or plugins for their, you know, audio editor, whatever it was, they were waiting on all that stuff to, to be ported over to Intel or, uh, even be, um, you know, 
proven out that Rosetta could run it. And the same thing is true now, right? Uh, I think about when the 2019 Mac Pro came out and there were a bunch of videos by people in audio, like, hey, I've stuffed all these cards in here and it's great. Like those people are going to be the last ones to move to Apple Silicon because they have much more complex needs. And so the Mac Pro is fine hanging out on Intel for a little bit longer because those people aren't going to jump to Apple Silicon on day one, more than likely. And so not a big deal that it's last. Again, it's how it was always going to be. I don't really know why this was like put into this article because they're different things. Like what Apple's doing with the Mac Mini, what Apple does with the Mac Pro, like very little bearing on each other. Yeah, it is a bummer we haven't seen the Mac Pro yet. I bet Apple wishes it was out. Apple said it was going to be a two-year transition. Well, some things happened since <laughs> since that was in, in the plans. And it is taking a little bit longer than I think they wanted but I think what we're getting out of the transition is so fantastic. Like it doesn't bother me outside of the, my curiosity about the product that we haven't seen a, an Apple Silicon Mac Pro yet. You going to buy a Mac Pro? Just start buying a Mac Pro to run Audio Hijack on. <laughs> I can't, I mean, I can't judge. <laughs> I've got some, uh, some exciting news. Yes. We have new merchandise at the Relay FM store. So uh, there's a link in the show notes. It's, it's uh, right at the top. And we've got a couple of new shirts. So we've got one called Click Wheel, which is the screen of an iPod, but with some like funny relay stuff in it. And then we have 90s, which is this like really colorful kind of, you know, early 90s rad kind of design. And uh, I'm super happy with both of these. They're both on sale now. And uh, as are a couple of the previous shirts. If a shirt that we had is that you wanted is no longer here, It'll roll back on at some point. We're just kind of turning this over every few months and uh, really excited about these. Yeah, I mean, the click wheel one is incredible. It's good, I isn't really it? Lo- I really love that design. It's so good. Like, it's, you know, the font and the and the battery indicator. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, because you've been listening uh, to, to some podcasts already, so it's not a full battery because you've been using it. It's, it's, it's really good. We got switch on in there. The font is the right one, obviously. I want to say that the rounded corners of the display are even consistent. Like, that's, yeah, very, very nicely done. Yeah, we work with really talented people. JD really killed it on these shirts. Yeah. Uh, no tiny head shirts this time. Last time Mike was gone, we did that, but uh, we promised not to do it this time. Yeah, we, we did not. What did, what expression did he use? We it was a betrayal. Is that what he said? Yeah. Uh, no, no betrayal this time. This episode of Connected is made possible by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, products, services, even the content you create. Squarespace has a lot of tools just built in. So if you need to look at analytics and try to understand where your traffic or purchases are coming from, you can use their built-in SEO tools. I'm a big fan of that because a lot of SEO tools are really complicated. Squarespace gives you just what you need and a really easy uh, and uh, easy to understand and easy to use interface. And if you do email campaigns, which you can send through Squarespace, you can bring over your site logo and colors into an email really easily. You also get all those analytics on the email. So if you send an email out to people who have signed up for your mailing list, you can see again, all in one place, how those emails are performing. Just a couple weeks ago, I had a friend of mine, he was building a Squarespace site uh, for his new business. And he reached out to me with a couple of questions. And one of my favorite things about Squarespace is as easy as it is to drag and drop things around and change typefaces and colors, you can also get in under the hood with things like code injection into the header of the page. You can do custom CSS. And so he wanted to do some things that were a little bit unusual, and we were able to to knock it out uh, thanks to Squarespace's awesome tools. Head over to squarespace.com slash connected for a free trial. There's no credit card required. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code connected to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash connected and the code connected to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring Connected and Relay FM. All right, so we got a bunch of software updates. We got iOS and iPadOS 16.3, Ventura 3.2, and I believe as of yesterday, tvOS and HomePod software, whatever it's called. Uh, is it called HomePod software? Is that the name? Just or just? I HomePod. think it runs iOS technically, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know what to call it. I don't think it's got a. 
It's got a name. Uh, anyway, 16.3 on the HomePod as well. Uh, one of the new features in 16.3, which I am not touching, obviously, but it's not made for people like us. Uh, you can now use a, a like a physical security key with your Apple ID. Uh, you've seen those devices, probably like the UB keys, uh, I believe one of them are called. Um, these are, you know, obviously this this more advanced security method is designed for, um, I think for for you know figures like journalists, uh, political activists, politicians, uh, individuals who are at the risk of like. Uh, yeah. You know, the, like the, the like government agencies going after them or like cyber attacks. Uh, High-risk individuals that do not qualify as three guys who do a podcast about Apple, obviously. And so these are not designed for us, but it's a pretty serious uh, effort from Apple's part here uh, to have like a p- official, like proper, like FIDO certified security keys Um you know, uh, from the FIRO Alliance, um, you know, working all across the ecosystem with iPhone, iPad, and uh, and the Mac with Ventura. So uh, this is pretty cool. Uh, if you uh, believe you need this kind of security on your account, I would recommend going to the support document uh, that Apple has and check out all the steps that you need to follow with your Apple ID. I think this is pretty awesome. Even though, like, it shouldn't be needed because it's like, but you know, now you have the option. Advanced, speaking of security stuff, advanced data projection uh, rolled out globally with 16.3. I still haven't done it. We know that Mike did it, but he's not here with us right now, this very moment. <laughs> it's so advanced, he can't talk on the show anymore. It's so advanced, he disappeared from my message. Uh, we cannot possibly know whether it worked or not. So I guess Mike will follow up somehow with us as to whether advanced data protection in the UK on his iPhone and either devices worked and if it worked well. Yeah. Yeah. I I still haven't done it because I, you know, it's one of those things I gotta wait and see how it goes. Well there was uh Zach in the Discord had found a uh, an article about if you aren't able to update your HomePod software then HomePod software. HomePod software. Then you can maybe turn off uh, advanced data protection and then update the HomePod. Ah, so, so there you go. I have uh, ADP turned on in my iCloud account, and I could update my HomePods just fine. And so it's it's been okay for me. But if you do run into issues, uh, we'll put a link to that article in the show notes. For a second, I thought you said I have ATP on my iCloud account. And I was like, wait, how do you have ATP on your iCloud account? Yeah, I have KC answer all my messages now. (laughs) (laughs) So it should be. Um, Also in 16.3, it unlocks through magic uh, sensors that were always inside the HomePod minis. The humidity and temperature sensors in the HomePod minis are now working and reporting data. The problem is, uh, well, a couple of problems. First of all, it seems that for some people it's not showing up immediately or like the data is not showing up immediately, I guess, because like the sensors need to calibrate or something. It's probably going to take a while to, you know, give you some data points. I installed the update last night. And I still don't see. In, you still don't have it. I still don't have it. So I assume there are temperatures and humidities in my house, but I don't know what they are. Yeah, there there must be a temperature. Uh, surely in your house. I mean, I'd hope so. I guess. But also, I've seen some people complain that <laughs> uh, some I've seen some folks on on Mastodon and Discord and on Reddit. I give it a give it a look. Um, so some people saying that two HomePod Minis in a stereo pair. They they report different values, <laughs> even though they sit for like a meter from each other, and they have different values for temperature and humidity. And I've seen some folks like ask for like, what about if you have a stereo pair instead of reporting a total of four values, uh, just give me an average, which I think is probably a good idea. Like if you have two HomePod Minis, but then if <laughs> As I say this, I also realize, well, what if you have a ministerial pair, but they are not close to each other? So maybe they could be beneficial Mm -hmm. to say, well, you know, maybe I have this HomePod Mini by the window and report a certain value, but I have this other one, you know, in the hallway and it's a totally different value. So I see both sides, I guess. 
as with most things, when you cannot find a single approach, you can either do what Apple does or you can do the right thing, which is make it a setting. I don't know. I guess we'll see if they do or not. Probably not. New Unity wallpapers uh, are uh, here and uh, obviously watchOS 9 I keep forgetting the watchOS is on version 9. Uh, 9.3 also launched, and it's got the, uh, a new Unity watch face. And there were some changes to the emergency SOS. I, I haven't really played around with this. Uh, I never test emergency SOS nope, even nope, in my nope. reviews <laughs> because I, I am so afraid I'm going to trigger it and the, the police is going to pick up and I'm going to have to explain what I just did. Yeah, I'm a blogger. Please don't. Sorry, Come I'm blocking. <laughs> you know, uh, so what you so there's been some tweaks here uh, to prevent like accidental what we were just saying, like accidental phone calls. So now you can place a call by holding down the side button alongside either of the volume buttons. But in order to place the call, you gotta release the buttons. Mm-hmm. Before, if you just held them down, you would place an emergency phone call. Now you need to release them. I don't know if this is better than before because it also comes natural to release those buttons yeah. when you realize what you've done. <laughs> and it may be too late anyway. So I don't know. I Like I said, I don't want to test this. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, but there's this tweak. And in Ventura uh, 3.2, which reminds me, I need to update my Mac Mini. Yeah, 13.2. 13.2. There's a fix for the... Um, I saw this happen to uh, to Mike, to John, and to friend of the show, Steve Trotten-Smith. Uh, text handwritten with the Apple Pencil, sort of exploding all over a board mm-hmm. in free form. Uh, this should have been fixed in this version yeah we ran into that on on mpu as well and basically what happens is if someone's using a pencil to handwrite on a freeform board on the ipad when you open it on the mac the text slowly drifts and so like if you wrote the word federico it eventually would like be three letters on top of each other then some space and like the other letters on top of each other nice very strange uh my feedback for it is still open but they say they fixed it uh so you know maybe at some point my uh my feedback number uh, will will be marked as closed, but uh, glad they fixed it. Freeform did get bumped to version I think one point one with this. You know, it's it's interesting because we talked about either here or on MPU. Would Apple treat Freeform like a built-in system app, like Notes or Reminders, where it gets updates with the OS, or is it going to be more like iWork? You know, Apple can do a Pages or Keynote update independent of what's going on at the OS level. Now, sometimes they are on the same day. Sometimes they are tied together, definitely. But there are other times like, oh, hey, we fixed these bugs and numbers and, you know, the other apps. So, so far, it's only been in conjunction with iOS, but one point is not a graph. So I am curious to see how Apple treats Freeform differently. I mean, I think you and I both agree that it would be nice for Apple to update like reminders or mail or something at all during the year, not just in the point oh every fall, but even if they they did that off cycle, I think would be uh, mm-hmm. it would be nice. But they're they seem to all be kind of linked together in a way that um, really feels like a historic artifact from back in the day with like the iPhone. You like down remember this like you download a firmware file in iTunes and then like you plug your phone in and it was out of commission for thirty minutes when it, it like upgraded the firmware. We've moved past that, but in some ways we haven't. Something else that came out. As of yesterday, Ivory for Mastodon. So in case you've, uh, in case you're not on Mastodon or you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, this is the new app from Tapbots, uh, and it's you know uh, at a glance uh, can be described as the Tweetbot equivalent, but for Mastodon instead of Twitter. Right. Especially consider that since last week, uh, third-party Twitter clients are officially dead. Rest in peace. Uh, uh, I don't want to talk about like how the, you know Twitter <laughs> made the announcement official by sort of updating the guidelines yeah. post the fact that they actually killed the cl- like and uh, yet another ridiculous move from this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, Ivory for iPhone and iPad is out. The Mac version is still um, 
being worked on. I think it'll come out uh, next. Uh, I did a review on Mac Stories and uh, it felt like uh, sort of uh, my entire timeline yesterday was taken over by Ivory. I think there's obviously... So something that I pointed out in my review, uh, besides the fact that it's a really high quality app in terms of design, excellent, really well done, uh, feels like Mark, uh, the designer at Tapbots, has kind of found uh, his enthusiasm back after, mm-hmm. and I can imagine that, like, you know, uh, making a Twitter client, especially in the past few years, must have been, uh, you know, just exhausting from a creative yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Like you have some ideas and you cannot do them because you're not sure you will be able to actually ship them. Like so it must be exhausting, like draining all of your creative energy. And it feels like you can you can tell that Tabbots is like they're both Mark and Paul. They're both uh, very uh, energetic, I guess. Again, like it, you can feel it when like a developer is, you know, eager to to ship more and do more stuff, which is exciting. I think from a performance standpoint, like super smooth. Like if you remember Tweetbot, how smoothly it scrolls and the and the menus, how quickly they they open and the action drawer. Uh, it's just really high quality product from from two developers who who have clearly been doing this for a long time. The bigger point, um, and this has been kind of controversial, I think. Uh, I've definitely had to mute some insufferable people uh, on Mastodon about this. Uh, you know, turns out, Stephen, some kind of people are everywhere. Not just on <laughs> Twitter, they can also be on Mastodon. I think the bigger point is that um, it's important in our little community, in our little Apple community, to have this kind of product for Mastodon right now to sort of ease the transition from Twitter to something else. Counter-argument to, to this is that Mast- like the beauty of decentralization and federation and federated social media is that you shouldn't, you're not, quote-unquote, supposed to use a proprietary, paid-for client that is just on Apple devices and just for Mastodon. And while I do understand the perspective from which the argument comes, I also think it's wrong. Uh, first of all, I, I always tend to be against, like, you're not, the, the arguments that start with you're not supposed to, like... That, that thing, like, when you shouldn't do something based on the assumption of what exactly and who, um, it never quite works with me. But I also think that there's a fundament- fundamental difference now that we are approaching and we are learning the ropes of this new type of social media. Mastodon is one type of service that is compatible to an extent with ActivityPub. We talked about this before, ActivityPub being the standard that powers, and again, I'm simplifying here, the standard that powers this communication between different services with a decentralized approach. Mastodon is one service for that, uh, and it's it's the kind of software made by a company that wants to make money in building software. Whereas I've seen some people in my replies yesterday uh, arguing that because of decentralized social media, basically all software should be free and open source. And if you're not using free and open source software, and I'm literally quoting one of the replies that I got, uh, you are one of those Twitter people that have now come on our service. Wow. And you know how I, I, I really dislike that sort of like... Uh, gatekeeping. You know, gatekeeping. That's the word I was looking for. Like, oh, it's one of those Twitter people who have migrated from that service back to here. Uh, and I, I really dislike it. I think fundamentally the, the, the misunderstanding there is that there can be multiple types of software and competition is good. Competition is great. Uh, you can have free and open source software. I mean, you look at Ice Cubes, excellent Mastodon client that I want to write about more soon. Uh, it's free and open source. You got a bunch of other free and open source software for Mastodon, for ActivityPub. It's full of that kind of stuff right there. Uh, 
But the whole point of this, the whole point of, of not having a single entity control the social network you're using is that you're free to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And you're free to you're free to use an app that is paid for. And even in that segment, you're free to choose if you want to have a paid upfront client or a subscription client. Like you're free, just do whatever you want. And you're free to use a free and open source app or a web app or a PWA, ELK, E-L-K, excellent PWA for Mastodon. I've, been, I, I've installed it uh, on, my, on my gaming PC while I was trying Apple Music for Windows. Works great. You can even install it on your iPhone if you want to. The point being, that kind of gatekeeping, I think is kind of silly. And you're free to, like, you should, the thing is, you should, if you want to use that verb, what you should do is you should feel free to do whatever you want, because this is the whole point of it. Like, I think we migrated away from Twitter because that was exactly the problem, that we, you, you, that service didn't want you to do, to use certain things. Here, just do whatever you want. You like Ivory, use Ivory. You like Ice Cubes, you use Ice Cubes. You want to use a web app, use a web app, like, suit yourself, you know? So that's just something that I wanted to point out because I saw that kind of reaction from multiple people after I posted my review and it was just bothering me. No, I, I get it. And I hope that, you know, the folks behind Twitterific and, and some other applications, I know the person behind Spring is doing what, Mona? Is there going to be their Mastodon client? There's other things coming, right? If if Tweetbots, uh, Tweetbot wasn't your jam on Twitter, it's probably not going to be your jam on Mastodon, but... Uh, there, I think there's there's more on its way, and I know that uh, our friend Manton Reese, who runs Micro.blog, had a had a post about some of the um, the challenges, right, of kind of integrating with uh, Mastodon using ActivityPub, all this stuff. So we'll put that. It, it, this is early days, right? There are oh yeah, there are things that are a little bit messy in places and. Even Ivory is sort of labeled as like early access. Like there are things that just aren't there yet. But I know in the um, I know in the 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 beta process that they've really been working hard. And I, I suspect that will continue. And just in general, Ivory really excellent app. Uh, I've been using it. Um, I'm now in the process of like switching between multiple clients because I want to do I want to do at some point like a like a some kind of overview of the different options that you have, at least on iOS and iPadOS. Um, but Ivory is the one that's on my home screen, and it's the one I, I go back to just because it, it feels nicer um, than anything else at the moment. But I'll probably spend some time setting up Mona uh, as well, especially on the iPad because of the multiple columns, custom sections, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's an exciting time, I think, to, um, to be on Mastodon, uh, you and Mike. <laughs> should join Steven. Should, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've, should, I've been should, should be there. I've been reading more. Come I mean, on, come on. We, you know, even Steve Tran Smith is on there now. I saw that. Yeah, I've been, I've been reading some. I don't. I don't. I want to clarify. I don't want to peer pressure you. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I would love it if you were there. But if you don't want to, then it's also fine. We'll see. We will see. We don't do. We only do peer pressure when it comes to buying computers and stuff but social media (laughs) do whatever you want this episode of connected is also made possible by fitbot it's a new year a time that most people reevaluate their fitness plans fitbot is an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan that's just for you its algorithm learns about you your goals and your training ability creating a custom dynamic program based on your experience and any equipment you have This all is in an app that makes it incredibly easy to learn how to perform each exercise. Personal fitness is not about competing with other people, looking to others, trying to mimic what they're doing. You need something that's going to work for you. That's when it works. That's when you begin to see the results you're looking for. Because everyone's fitness path is different. Fitbot uses actual data from your workouts to make sure they're customizing things to suit you. This powerful technology understands your strength training ability, studies your past workouts, and adapts to your available gym equipment. So if you've got a home gym like I have, and maybe you add something to it, you can add it to FitBot and it will rebuild your future workouts with that in mind. Or maybe you're traveling, right? And the hotel has a gym with a bunch of equipment you don't have access to, or maybe less equipment than you have access to. Maybe you're doing bodyweight-only exercises. FitBot can be adjusted to account for all of those things. 
FitBot also tracks muscle fatigue uh, and recovery, so it's designing a well-balanced workout routine over time. It's over 1,400 HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles, so you can see exactly how each exercise is supposed to be done. It also integrates with Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatches, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but FitBot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% off your membership by going to fitbod.me connected. That's fitbod, F-I-T-B-O-D, fitbod.me connected for 25% off your membership. Our thanks to FitBod for their support of the show and Relay FM. So we, you want to you wanna close out this episode with uh, an easy topic. Yeah, touchscreen <laughs> Max. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mark Gurman had an article on Bloomberg. I'm sure everyone's seen it now. We're a little bit late to this. That Apple is working on adding touchscreens to Macs, something he calls a major turnabout. Back in the day, uh, Federico, I'm sure you remember this, when they released the good MacBook Air in that Back to the Mac event, there was a little section about touch. And there's a lot more, but these are some of the highlights of how we've been inspired by the work that we've done in iOS, and we'd like to bring it back to the Mac. So let me talk for a few minutes about a few of these. Multi-touch gestures. You know, the first thing you think about is this, right? We thought about this years ago. We've done tons of user testing on this, and it turns out it doesn't work. Touch surfaces don't want to be vertical. It gives great demo, but after a short period of time, you start to fatigue, and after an extended period of time, your arm wants to fall off. It doesn't work. It's ergonomically terrible. Touch surfaces want to be horizontal, hence pads. For a notebook, that's why we've perfected our multi-touch trackpads over the years. Because that's the best way we've found to get multi-touch into a notebook. We've also, in essence, put a trackpad, a multi-touch trackpad, on the mouse with our magic mouse. And we've recently come out with a pure play trackpad as well for our desktop users. So this is how we're going to use multi-touch on our Mac products, because this doesn't work. Well, that was 10 years ago. Just because Apple said it was a bad idea then doesn't mean it's a bad idea now. What we've learned is touch is extremely important how we interact with our software. If we had tried to build it into the display, we discovered that it's not in an optimal position. You don't feel comfortable holding your hand up in the air and trying to multi-touch. The best way to deliver multi-touch in a notebook is through the trackpad. So in the MacBook Air, we've built in a large glass multi-touch trackpad right below the full-size keyboard. The rest of the market has gone to this, even the iPad with its multiple keyboard and trackpad accessories has uh, has moved this way. Mm. And uh, I really want to get your take on this because I know one of the things you love about the iPad is the modality, that you can have it as a desktop computer. You can have it as something you use in the car or walk around with. And I know a lot of that is that you can just like tear the screen off the keyboard. And I, I don't think Apple's going to do that with the Mac, but... As someone who uses a touch computer as their primary computer, what about this? Uh, you know, gets you excited. What are you thinking? I gotta tell you that I'm I'm gonna bring uh, some fire. Good to this topic. Good, I'm saving it for 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 a couple of minutes. I, I th- obviously I I am on on team. They should do this, and yes. they should have done this years ago. I feel like the the other important factor is like let alone the fact that the same company is making a computer, the iPad Pro, charging good money for it. And that computer is predicated upon the idea of you attach a keyboard, you use the keyboard, it's got a trackpad, but hey, at the same time, you can or cannot touch the screen as well. Uh, The other factor is in those 10 years or so, in the meantime, a new generation of people has grown up accustomed to touch screens and sort of with the expectation that every display they see, I guess besides the television that they have in, you know, that their parents have in the living room usually is a touch compatible display. Uh, You know, kids, they just... I got three of those people in my house and that is 
100% accurate. They they sit down in MacBook Air and they try to scroll on the screen. They try to scroll. Like they just grew up that way. So 10 years ago, I would have argued that that was already happening, but let's play along. Let's say that 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. It is the case today. And so I think what you just said, like, because Steve Jobs said something 10 years ago, hey, let me tell you something. Steve Jobs was not infallible. <laughs> he did some things that, you know, in hindsight were wrong. And at the same time, I believe there's also, because like Apple fans, they only like to quote one side of Steve Jobs. I'm pretty sure that somewhere there's a Steve Jobs quote that says something along the lines of one of the greatest qualities is the ability to change your mind. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that there's also that quote. So it's convenient that they always quote the thing that's, you know, plays along with to their argument. Um, you can change your mind, it's fine. Uh, in these 10 years, the computing landscape has changed. Apple itself is making a computer uh, that you can touch or cannot touch. And um, the thing is, I feel like we are not asking for, use a MacBook Pro, for example, only with touch. I think what people are looking for are options. Just have more input methods. Yeah. Uh, just have touch as a companion input method to the keyboard and trackpad. Uh, just, just because for some things, it's more convenient. Like, for example, I don't know, let's say you're you're playing music and you just, you know, with your thumb, you can just reach out and quickly cue another song. Or on YouTube, you can click on a thumbnail. Uh, or maybe it's easier to actually touch it instead of, you know, using the cursor. Like, just more... Uh, concurrent input methods. I think it would be great. Uh, I, I think they should absolutely do this. And I think now is the time to accept that, hey, maybe 10 years ago, we thought it wasn't it wasn't the best option for us, uh, but maybe we can do something today. Yeah, I think in the context of, of that discussion 10 years ago was, should touchscreens be on the Mac or should we have trackpads, right? The idea that you would have both and you would kind of use whatever was the best in any given moment, that really wasn't, I don't think, a well-positioned thought. But in the year since, we've come to understand that very thing, right? Like with the iPad, with the Magic Keyboard, you've got the trackpad. You know, if you're typing, if you're in that kind of keyboard-heavy mode, you're probably just going to reach down and use the trackpad. But you should be able to reach up with your finger or your thumb and scroll, you know, yeah. Yes, some elements of macOS currently are not really touch-friendly, but maybe they all don't have to be. And government says this is like three or four years out, so there's plenty of time. If you haven't noticed, Apple does a macOS release every year. There's plenty of time for them to make some adjustments, and I think they've been working towards that. I mean, we talked about this a couple of years ago with Big Sur and its control centers. Like, wow, that looks just like iOS. Look how huge these targets are for a cursor. Hmm, you know, is there more of that stuff coming? Probably so. I think it's something they should do. You and I are in 100% agreement in this. That this is something they should add to the Mac. It would be an optional thing for people who want it, but the trackpad is not going to go anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that, that the trackpad will continue to be the main source of input, even if Mac notebooks do gain a touchscreen. Um, and that kind of leads me to my second question for you. I think when we talk about this, we assume laptop, like, oh, yeah, the MacBook Air, of course, you should have that. But you and I are both sitting in front of a studio display. People have iMacs, right? Is that something Apple should bring to the desktop as well? Do you think it makes sense there? I don't know on on an external monitor. um, I don't know why, but I don't feel... uh, Like, whenever when I was using the MacBook Pro, I would always, like, just, uh, you know... My instinct was to just reach out and touch the display. I never do that with an extra, with a studio display, just because I, I feel like it's it's the it's the mode switching. Like I'm sitting in front of it, and I know that it's not a touch compatible display. Mm-hmm. So first answer probably gonna be like uh, no on the external monitor because just because that feels maybe kind of strange. Although I mean. I mean, it's not like I would oppose it strongly. Like, if you want to do it, do it. Like, I wouldn't be upset about it. I don't know how frequently I would do it with a VESA-mounted display in front of me. 
but also like if you want to do it just uh, feel free to do it would be my mm -hmm. would be my my answer yeah yeah in the windows world there is some touch on the desktop like i think famously the surface studio that big you know microsoft imac <laughs> that has a touch screen yeah that computer has not been successful but i think it's that has some more to do with its specs and price than the fact that it has a has a touch screen but mm -hmm. it it is really interesting to consider like if it's secondary right if it's how i think you and i are thinking like it's for scrolling and you reach up and tap something but you're not doing your computing with your arms held out then i think they would be fine to skip the desktop and yeah it's on notebooks that's awesome that's what most people buy anyways but in a, you're in a desktop environment it's a little bit different most pcs most desktops are using screens that are not touch right in the Windows world, kind of outside of the Surface Studio and a couple other products like it, touches basically on notebooks and not yes. on the desktop. And yes. I think that is totally fine. Now, yeah. if something wild happens and like touch is the only thing and they get rid of the trackpad, they're not doing any of that. But say they did, they would have to bring it to the desktop. I think the experience would be too broken, like too different between their products. But adding it to a notebook seems like it's so overdue, so simple. And something that, you know, the beauty of this is because it's additive. If it's not for you, you just never use it. Like it's not a big deal because they're not going to take away what we're already using. This topic, like, about, you know, this report from Gurman and the discussion that I've heard uh, on Upgrade and other shows, uh, you know, it's sort of a it's perfect timing for me because I've been, I've been thinking about this stuff a lot lately. I've been, uh, you know, it started with the, before the, with the, it, it all started with, with how stressed out I was with stage manager and sort of broadly speaking, my concern with the direction of iPadOS. But obviously in the past couple of months, I've been doing a lot of uh, soul searching, if you will, tech wise, um, sort of like trying to understand like, what is it that I want? from my computer. Like, why was stage manager so problematic for me? But even beyond that, like, what are my points of friction with iPadOS? Um, and what just what is it that I want from, from how I use a computer? And I have reached a point where I am going to say something that until a few years ago, I would have thought, was unthinkable for me. And uh, something that I actually fought pretty, pretty strongly when I heard that argument. The thing is, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that what I want is for Apple to give me, to make... Not to just give me personally, but just to make. <laughs> we we handmade this one product just for you. No, but just I want Apple to make a, a true convertible computer. Mm -hmm. Like I have reached the point where my wish is for a tablet that runs macOS. Wow. That, there. That's Ooh. and you know what they brought me to this point? Just out of exhaustion. The, 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 I it's not my fault. I said this. And it's not just stage manager. The thing is, I the, the, the very basic, simple truth is I am tired of having to use two computers to do my job. Mm -hmm. I feel like I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to use an iPad Pro because it's the modular convertible computer that I like to use. It's touch, but it's also got a keyboard, and I can hold it, but I can also dock it if I want to. And I love using it, except for some key tasks of my job, which is the other half of my job, recording podcasts, unless I purchase a bunch of expensive equipment and I overcomplicate my setup so that I can sort of record with the setup that I want on the iPad Pro. I'm just tired of all of this. And I am tired of having iPadOS be, this is something that I have written over and over in my reviews over the years. I love the idea that Apple has a shot at reinventing the traditional desktop OS with a new design, 
with new interactions with support for multiple input methods. But if you are if you want to reinvent it, you also need to meet a certain baseline of functionality. You cannot just reinvent for, you know, design's sake. And the, the fact that, you know, every single year for some key tasks of some built-in apps or, you know, some workflows, right, like recording and having proper audio controls or just having the ability to install apps from other sources that are not the App Store. And every year I keep thinking, oh, maybe next year. Oh, well, maybe next year. Oh, this year they did this feature, but I'm sure next year they'll, they'll, they'll get to it. I'm just tired of it. I, I'm just tired of feeling handcuffed by the platform. And this year they focused on Stage Manager, which they had a shot at rethinking multitasking. And in my opinion, they blew it because it, it doesn't do what I want. It doesn't give me the flexibility that I, as a professional user, I would like to see. And I'm just, you know, I was thinking a few weeks ago, the prospect of Apple is not going to dedicate much attention to iOS and iPadOS 17 this year because of the headset. It's scary. Like the thought that if I want to have a bigger fixes for iPadOS, I'm going to have to wait until June 2024. <laughs> It's it's kind of scary. Like, I don't know. It's a bummer. I don't know if I want to <laughs> live with iPadOS for another year and a half, honestly. But at the same time, what's my alternative? Uh, use a MacBook Pro? I, I don't want a laptop. Like, I, I just, I just, I don't want to have a laptop that it's, I cannot rip the screen out and use it as a tablet. Mm -hmm. So I think I've reached a point where Unfortunately, the computer I want Apple to make does not exist. And now the question becomes, what's going to happen sooner? That Apple is going to make a convertible Mac? Or that iPadOS is going to grow enough to sustain workflows? That's a that terrible race. Have... That's a <laughs> it's a terrible race. And I'm just here thinking about all this and feeling kind of scared and afraid because I, I'm afraid that the answer is, who knows? Mm-hmm. And so this is why I've been, I've, I've actually been very nervous about all this because I feel like to an extent, just, you know, to get super honest with you, um, I feel like to an, to an extent, so much of my, oh, this is going to sound so silly, but hey, whatever. Uh, but the thing is, so much of my online identity is tied to be, you know, it's, it's the iPad guy, you know? Like, yeah. And, and I know that so many people like signed up for the club or, you know, just follow me because I've used and tried to push the iPad beyond, maybe sometimes beyond its limits. And I was not alone. There's a bunch of other great people experimenting with the platform. Of course. But that's what I spent most of my time researching and studying and writing about over the past few years. But I feel like I've, I've hit a wall. I don't know what else I can do. Uh, I don't like using Stage Manager. I don't like being, you know, uh, like, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but like I posted on Mastodon, I went back to using Split View and Slide Over. Yeah, I think you told us that in, uh, in messages. Yeah, I, I just, and I'm tired, and I'm tired of like, uh, sometimes you want to open a desktop web app and it doesn't work just right in Safari. And you, you're forced to use in Safari because you cannot put Google Chrome on, on it. You have some built-in apps. They still don't have the equivalent features of the macOS versions. Mm -hmm. uh, smart folders in Apple Mail. Right. Uh, smart playlists in Apple Music. Like, like, and I'm tired. I'm just tired of waiting for who knows exactly what, right? Uh, it's, it's been 10 years. Like I was thinking about this. It's been 10 years that I've been using the iPad. And some things I've been complaining for literally a decade. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe it's enough, you know? Like, but the thing is, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, I don't like... I love macOS, mind you. I love macOS. I, just, I don't like being forced 
into a laptop again. I don't think a MacBook Air the screen comes off of is in the cards <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah. But um, but touch is a, a first step in that direction, right? Without touch, you're never going to get to the true convertible. So maybe, maybe. Like we said earlier, Apple should get weird. That's what we want. They should do it. Uh, just, you know, make a, make an, an iPad, make a, I don't know, call it the MacBook Touch or whatever. Just call it whatever you want. Just give me a computer that runs macOS or, or maybe the single hope. I'm going to, I'm going to close out. I'm going to close out with a glimmer of hope. I'm afraid to say that my one true hope this year is the European Union. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a position I thought I would ever be in on this show. But, hey, maybe the European Union is going to really force Apple to allow side-loading on, on iPadOS. And maybe, just maybe, we will get alternative browsers and alternative apps for audio files. And that will maybe remove the friction I'm finding over and over with some things and everything will work itself out thanks to Gatekeeper and sideloading and the European Union and whatever feature, feature Apple is going to ship this year if they are doing it. And it sounds like they are. So maybe there's hope. Uh, not the kind of hope I was looking for, you know, never a good kind of a feature, I guess, if it's forced by regulators, but hey, maybe that's it. Maybe that's I just need to wait for side loading. Godspeed, my friend. Yeah, I know, right? If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about in the show this week, they're in your podcast app. They're also on the web at relay.fm slash connected slash 434. There's also a link there where you can submit feedback or follow up to the show. There are also buttons to join and get Connected Pro, which is a longer ad-free version of the show uh, each and every week. The Pro Show is awesome. You don't want to miss it. So uh, join up. And if you are a member, thank you so much for your support. You can find Federico's work online. He is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. If you haven't read his Ivory review, go check it out. It's it's awesome. And you really get into like, yes, this is based on TweetBot, but it is also its own thing. So I think that was a, a really excellent piece. Yeah. And, and as of today, uh, we uh, made it even easier to uh, find us on Mastodon. I had this idea for like, hey, why don't I just set up a like a subdomain so that like because it's weird when you you know we used to say just find you know at Vitici on Twitter but that's not possible anymore so now if you want to find me on Mastodon you just uh, type into your address bar vitici.maxstories.net and you will be taken to my profile that's it like vitici.maxstories.net in Safari Google Chrome whatever you can find my writing over at 512pixels.net uh, and also co-host Mac Power Users here on Relay FM. Mike's not here, but he also hosts a bunch of other shows here on Relay FM, and he's the co-founder of Cortex Brand. You can learn more about their theme system journal and a whole bunch more at cortexmerch.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Squarespace and Fitbod. And until next week, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye, y'all.